James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. This sermon comes out of a meeting I had this week with a handful of people, about a dozen people, and I was sucking wind on that specific day, and people that were at that meeting, thanks for praying because I don't feel like I've sucked wind the rest of the week. But we gathered to talk about things that we're encouraged by, things that God is doing in our midst, and all of us, except maybe one, all of us were on the UG side of things. We know God's working, but it's like it just doesn't… I haven't felt anything for a while, struggling, wrestling, having difficulty. Hey, have you felt… Have you felt that in your own life? I know, I know you have. And um, so the reality is, what do we do? What do we do with that? That's a reality. So what do we do with that? It's nothing new to us. And so ultimately, I thought, you know what? We could talk about Zacchaeus, and we would be good to talk about Zacchaeus, which is our next chunk in Luke. Or we could just kind of take the moment sit and think, okay, look, we need to be buoyed. We need to be strengthened a little bit this morning, not just by a, a sermon on specifically salvation. It would be a wonderful thing to walk through Zacchaeus this morning, but I wanted to go through James 5, 7 through 11 with you this morning for the time that we have remaining. James chapter 5, 7 through 11, this is the Word of God to us, so let us keep our ears open and our hearts, our posture, um, open to what the Spirit is saying to us as a church this morning. Here's what he says through James. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's the word of the Lord for us this morning. I want to start by stating some things that we know, the amazing truths that we know that most amazing truth in all of history, that if you've placed your hope in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that you are no longer an enemy of God. That is a, the most amazing truth in all of history. You're no longer, if you trust in Jesus, you're no longer alienated you're from God. You're no longer hostile in mind. No matter how you feel about God's presence in the morning, the truth is, in Christ, you have been reconciled with God. You've been restored relationally with Almighty God. Do, do you feel that this morning? May, may the Spirit cause us to feel this joy. You've been given, friends, those who trust in Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit, not only to continually recall that you are, in fact, a child of God, justified, set apart, loved, and accepted, but 
Jesus died for you so that you would be made a new creature, filled with the Spirit, a people who walk in obedience to Christ, who are inclined to kill sin, rejecting the lies of the world, the flesh and the devil, and believing in the promises of God, ever growing to be like Jesus. This is what the Spirit is doing in us. Whether we feel the Spirit working in a moment or not, the truth is, is that Spirit is working that way in us, and this is amazing. This is what the gospel at least portions of the gospel, parts of the gospel, speak of and tell us of. But we feel our lack. But listen, consider the promise we're given on account of the finished work of Jesus that we will each one day stand in God's presence, regarded by Him as above reproach as people against whom no legitimate charge can be brought. We will be before Him. It will be face to face with infinite righteousness, perfect holiness, that this final declaration will be stated of us, blameless, above reproach, That'll be given to us. All will be laid bare before Him. Everything is laid bare before Him, but everything will be laid bare before Him. And guess what? Because of the good news of Jesus Christ, the the action of the Holy Spirit in us regenerating our hearts and all that God has done in, in the path of salvation for us that is both past, present, and future, All of that we will on that day be presented, Jude says, with great joy, blameless before holy God. Do you live in the good of that? The truth we sing of, the truth we live in, call to mind is that Jesus died that if we believe on Him, we would become children of God who by hard work, work that reveals the work of God in us, grow more like Jesus with the guarantee that all is not only well now in the moment, but all will surely be well then. We do not have to shrink back when He comes. We, we actually anticipate and look forward to that when we see God face to face. This is not a circumstantial truth. Might be true, might not be true, depending on how we feel. It is objective truth. It's undeniable and unaltered truth and that's cause for rejoicing. So when we sing and we clap to it is well, it's not just because it's an awesome song, it's because it is well with our souls. It really is. And so we rejoice. So why is it so often that we don't feel the smile on our lips, the joy in our hearts over that amazing news. Why do we feel spiritually dry? Why do we feel discouraged, despairing when we have so much reason to enjoy a sure and certain hope found in Jesus? To to succumb to feeling like He's not listening to us or He's absent from us. And if you don't feel lonely, or you don't feel like God's not listening, if not presently, have you ever felt that way? 
And, and, and not to be Debbie Downer here, but if you've never felt that way, like be prepared, you will feel that way at some point, that you're alone, that God has left you alone. Why this? Why that? One issue that we all face is that the hope that we believe in, while to be experienced greatly now, it, it, there's, there's a reality of future. It's a delayed hope. We live, as we've considered recently in Luke, in the reality of the already and the not yet. There, there is a day coming when all those around, all those who've been reconciled with God through Christ will be finally presented blameless before God and to enjoy unhindered fellowship and unending joy. I know that most of you in this room, if you've been attending this church, you know that this is true. You know that's true. It's, it, it's a, there's theological categories there in your head. But until that day when we experience unending joy, unhindered fellowship, until then we live in a world where the joys we experience are intermixed with experience of struggles and difficulty. It's not only joy, it is also struggle and toil and difficulty. And on any given day or week or month, one may experience one more than the other. But we want the joy for weeks and months. Most often we get the struggle weeks and months and this suffering and all of that. Perhaps you can struggle or you can identify with a struggle with sin and self-centeredness. I, I know you and I can. A struggle with godlessness, a, a living a life as though God doesn't exist as a practical atheist. Um, maybe say that you believe in God, but, you, but ultimately you don't. Perhaps it's a struggle with sickness. Perhaps it's a frailty or some other thing. Perhaps it's a struggle trusting God with the affairs of your family or your future. The Apostle Paul, what Jesus says, in this world you'll have tribulation. We know that. Listen to what the, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. We are afflicted. In how many ways? Every way. But not crushed. Perplexed. Have you felt perplexed this week? <laughs> Yes, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down. I mean, you're laying on the ground, struck down, but guess what? Not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So here's the dilemma. Part of it is there's, I mean, you feel, you feel the mix, right? Joy, sorrow, crushing, or not crushing, but, but, but afflicted, perplexed. But man, Christians are supposed to be happy, so why do I feel so perplexed? Christians are supposed to be joyful, so why do I feel so afflicted, so bent over? We do have a great and glorious hope that's laid out for us in heaven, where we will be presented before holy God, accepted based on the merits of Christ. And while that is true now, and there is a kind of joy unspeakable that we can certainly enjoy even, uh, when the Spirit moves on us in certain ways, it seems that there is a reality that the Spirit uh, moves oftentimes in us amid very real and significant struggle. When we are going through struggle and difficulty, it is not as though the Spirit is absent for the Christian. 
The Spirit is very much at work doing something different, doing something in the moment better, more glorious, deeper possibly. And He does so in the moments of struggle and in the moments of joy by instructing us, informing us, reminding us that we are to be those who live with patient expectation. Not just, not just patient endurance, like patient expectation. Today and tomorrow and the next day. We, we live in a crazy, God-ordained, Jesus-saturated, Spirit-anointed mix of joy and forgiveness and freedom in Christ, all glorious things, along with significant sorrows that I know that some of you, if not all of you, have come in feeling some element of sorrow this morning, difficulties, discouragements, confusion, loneliness, and on and on. This, Jesus, James reminds us that we are to live as disciples of Christ amid all of that mix of stuff with patient expectation. And in the text that was just read out of James 5, we can live with patient expectation by looking to the reward, by looking to our examples, and by looking to the Savior. And those are the three points this morning. Amid all of that, what the main thing that I want us to think about this morning overarching is this, because this is true. The Holy Spirit is moving in you today, right now, no matter how you feel, the, the Holy Spirit is moving in you today to further enable a life of patient expectation that all is well. So we can sing it, And so part of singing it is declaring it, but see, the Spirit is moving it deeper into our hearts. So I've heard it again just before we enter in. I want you to feel the grace that the Holy Spirit, no matter how you feel, the Holy Spirit is on the move in this place. He's at work in your heart and in your mind this morning. First point, we live with patient expectation. You know what, let me just back up and say something. It's a guarantee that the Spirit is moving here this morning because of the blood of Christ, because of His promises. And He speaks to us and moves in us. Although it seems like information transfer right now, it is actually the Spirit speaking. I'm not saying I'm the Spirit. I'm saying God's Word is by the power of the Spirit being implanted in our hearts this morning. So when we come Sunday mornings, one of the reasons why we would say, man, like, do whatever you possibly can to get here on Sunday mornings, because this, this message is the only place at Sovereign Grace Church Dayton where we all hear the same thing. It is, it's not that the Lord doesn't speak in Bible studies and the Lord doesn't speak in devotions and all those kind of things. It's that, it's that those are more all individualistic kind of things, but, and they're wonderful, and, and, and maturity happens there. But in this moment, in the preached Word, 
There is a message for Sovereign Grace Church Dayton, not just Steve Bice, not just Emma Forshe, not just Colin Sprague, not just Olga Greenberg. See, we come expectant that the Spirit is going to speak to us as a church. And so we must be there Sunday morning to hear what is the Spirit teaching us as a church this morning. Not, so, so the question, really, the question that we need to come to when we gather is what is God saying to us before we ask Him, what is God saying to me? Do you feel the corporate… like? It, the corporate beauty, the Word being taught to us as a church, as one body. This is, this is a key means of grace that the Spirit uses to build His church. So in our culture, church, especially during live stream, um, being, uh, becoming prominent, it's easy it's easy to say, hey, church is one of many good things. We would just want to encourage you, church, church, is, church is one of many good things, but it is the primary good thing. Um, not just church because it's church, but because it's where we come together as one body together to listen together and to be able to think about one another like this, this word is for us. How must we respond to it? This is the activity of the Holy Spirit, one of the activities. Christopher Ash says this, all the other contexts in which we hear the Word are important and beneficial. It's good, very good that we read our Bibles on our own, that we read the Bible with one another in pairs and small groups. These things serve to reinforce the spiritual hunger and attentiveness of the fellowship so that when we gather together to hear the Word preached, our hearts are eager and ready humbly to sit under His mighty hand, but it is the corporate gathering of the fellowship which defines and shapes the church. So we've begun community groups Fantastic. We're super ecstatic to, to get to community groups, but friends, prioritize this moment as often as you possibly can to be here. What does the Spirit have for us today? First, we live with patient expectation by looking to the reward. James 5, verse 7, first part. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, we look to the reward because it's true, not because it's some, like, potential possibility. The Lord is coming back. This is a truth that the Bible speaks of clearly, that we must not lose sight of. It is truth. This truth, this promise of the return of Christ is one thing we can be certain of amid our tumultuous lives where we have so many questions, so many uh, different, different things to think about in the culture. Social media is just like coming at us, coming at Oh, it's confusing. So much information. The Spirit is saying, hey, look to the reward. The truth of the second coming of Christ is foundational to the gospel that we sing of, that we speak of, that we rejoice in. It's, it's not just that Jesus came to die for sinners, as glorious as that is, but it's that He rose again, and, and as glorious as that is, he, he's, he, he ascended, and, and as glorious as that is, He's coming back. 
He's coming back for whom? He's coming back for his own. Not only is our blameless and above reproach presentation to God the hope of the gospel, but so is the return of Jesus. That when he died for you, he died saying, hey, you are going to be, you're, you're mine and I'm coming back for you. No matter how you feel in the moment, I've not left you. I've not forgotten you. I'm coming back for you. And until I come back for you, I am with you. And I've given you a people to come, along, to come alongside of you. And I've given you my word. And I've given you the Holy Spirit. For the grace of God, Paul says to Titus, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How can we remain patient in, in, the, in the midst of difficulty by having and growing in a profound hope in the return of our Savior? And the question I would just have is, how has the return of Jesus informed this past week for you? The Lord is coming. That quote is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament alone, or at least reference to that term. God wants you and I to know that Christ is coming back for His own. He intends for you and I to be a people filled with hope, even amid whatever the trial is you're facing in these days. We, we look to the reward because it's true. We also look to the reward because it's promised. It's, it, it's promised by the Lord. We have the promise of a future James speaks to this hope in a very familiar illustration when he says this, Be patient of our brothers until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Now, we know if, if, we, if we're mindful at all that farmers are, are hard workers, Thirteen years in Iowa helped me know this by experience. Even with enormous planters and combines that today's farmers have, there is enormous work and diligence. Farmers get up early. They work the hardest all day, even into the late evening hours. And always, 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 no matter how hard they work, they have to simply wait for the crop to come in. They cultivate the ground. They, they plant. They work hard at keeping the weeds out. But farmers cannot make it rain. Perhaps you have a garden. In your, you can water it, right? But you can't make it rain. They have to wait for the rain and the sun and the wind to dry things up. They, they work, but they have to wait for the fruit of the earth. And they can patiently wait because they know that with the God-supplied rain, there will be a day when their hard work is going to produce precious fruit or harvest. Year in, year out, a farmer works and waits, works and waits, and inevitably the, cro the crop yields produce. Yet all that, all this promise is in the face of any number of difficulties. I mean, you know, I think, Baxter's, you guys know, with the chickens, one day everything seems good, handing out five million eggs every Sunday, and then and then one morning, you wake up, and there's a bunch of dead chickens from an enemy. This, this, is, this is true. We, when we were in Iowa, I mean, plants would happen, and then, and then too much rain was, was bad. 
Not enough rain was too bad, too much rain was too bad. And then if the rain was right, then the Iowa winds or potential tornadoes coming through were just a constant threat, and if not that, there was pestilence. They work hard, yet they live in patience, depending on an ultimate protection and provision, whether they believe in God or not. They trust in something outside of themselves, either hopelessly, with some sense of hopelessness, or in trusting God. So what's James getting at? James is simply pointing us to the fact that we, like a farmer, must be diligent, and like a farmer, we must patiently endure until the promised day of harvest that is the Lord's return. Living with the patient expectation of the harvest to come, that's that's how we're called to live and and to, to, to move each day. This is living living with patient expectation, and it is what the Spirit is reminding us of this morning. Jesus died for us so that we would be forgiven and become children of God, and He died for us that He would be raised again and promised that He would be with us even to the end of the age. And He died for us that we would be filled with the Spirit who would remind us and strengthen us and empower us to live with patient expectation amid days of damaging hail and destructive wind and flooding rains, days of confusion and difficulty of faith. But the Spirit reminds us this morning that in the end, there will be a day of harvest. And that day for the church that Christ died for is a sure and certain day of precious, precious reward that we can hardly get our minds around. And all will certainly be well on that day. And to be patient and expectant in the midst of trial, we must remind ourselves on, of that promised day regularly, repeatedly, over and over. And again, I ask you, how, how has the return of Christ informed this past week for you? This is why the Spirit has us considering this today, because we are a church family who needs to be reminded, aren't we? Friends, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He promised So don't lose heart. And we look to the reward also because God's Word says it's imminent, His return imminent. You also be patient, He says, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. His coming is near. The judge is standing at the door. The fact is we are in the last days. Jesus himself said it. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. And you see how easy it is to get impatient? 2,000 years. How patient do you want us to be? Ever patient. Trusting in His promises. In all reality, we don't have to be patient for that long. When we look at 2,000 years, okay, that feels long. When we look at a life, well, that seems long. When we look at a week, that seems long. Even if we were to look at 
a couple of days, that feels long. But when we consider that Jesus has promised that He's going to come back, and that when, he's going to, when He comes back, it's going to be boom, right away. It's going to be immediate. And that immediacy might very well be today. If we're living, if we're living with the mindset that Jesus is coming back, but it's probably not going to be in my lifetime, but maybe it is and whatever, so I got to wait till I'm dead. So that's going to stink because between now and death, there's going to be a lot of turmoil and difficulty and pain and, and suffering amidst joys and all that kind of stuff. But, but like ultimately, I know it's great, but it's like somewhere in the future. But if we are to live as though Jesus spoke to us this way, which he did, I'm coming back and it is an imminent thing. Well, we don't have to be patient really much at all because we live with the sense as though he's coming back in five minutes. And so we have an eternal perspective, and we walk with a sense of expectation. And so patience doesn't seem as difficult. Now, that seems like pie-in-the-sky reality, but the reality is, is that's the way we're called to live. That's what the Holy Spirit is reminding us of this morning, to live in the expectation that Jesus could come back today. A question, if you were to ask yourself, do you believe that Jesus is coming back? I would imagine most of you would say yes. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus could come back today? And how does that either positive or negatively affect the way you live? It's meant to be something that causes us the sense of expectation that Jesus could come back. When you ask a child to wait for five minutes, just be quiet for five minutes, how difficult, right? It's just five minutes, but it's hard for a child. And so this is… This is these are difficult things, but the reality is Christ is coming back soon, and we cry out, come soon, Lord Jesus. Among all the end-time charts and discussions and debates, which we, you know, the things that we know with certainty is that the return of Christ will happen, and we're told to be ready now, right now, today. So consider that for a moment. One of the outcomes of a life not lived with patient expectation of the return of Jesus is a life of grumbling, complaining. Um, I, I'm, I'm good at this. Um, oftentimes, the grumbling is not only against God, but it's against one another, often those closest to you. This group, obviously, that James is speaking to um, is a grumbling, kind of complaining, arguing people. And all the way through God's Word, we, we see God's people kind of being marked often by grumbling. We see it back in ancient Israel and all the way to our own very hearts. When, when pressure comes, we grumble. Uh, I'll just use the word complain. We complain. We doubt God's goodness. We doubt God's Word. We doubt His heart towards us. We doubt His 
existence. We doubt all of those things, and we grumble, and we grumble, and then we begin to look sideways, and we begin to grumble against each other. James exhorts us to call to mind that the Lord's return is certain, it's promised, it's imminent. And honestly, when we live with patient expectation of that certain promise and imminent day, grumbling will increasingly go by the wayside and encouragement will stand in its place. We're called to encourage one another all the more as the day approaches. And so, we're called to encourage one another. Encourage one another with what? Encourage one another specifically with Jesus is coming back. We live with patient expectation by looking to the reward. We, we um, secondly, live with patient expectations by looking to our examples. He says in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. There's been trailblazers through history, whether it's Lewis and Clark or whatever, and just people that kind of go before to chart the path. And he tells us here, consider the prophets who considered or who suffered patiently as they spoke in the name of the Lord. One commentator named J. Motier says this in his commentary on this passage. He says, we see it, this suffering that required patience, exemplified in the prophets who were highly privileged but not protected against the strains of life. That sounds familiar. Their privilege and their trials went hand in hand. Jeremiah was hunted by the men of his hometown specifically because they wanted to stop him from speaking in the name of the Lord. Ezekiel suffered painful bereavement as the setting in which he delivered his message in the name of the Lord. If Daniel had not supported deportations, we would never have heard of him or benefited from his ministry. Hosea's message, or Hosea's marriage breakdown was in itself the Lord's word to and through him. Privilege and suffering. Suffering and ministry just belong together in the lives of the prophets. But the prophets didn't only experience suffering. They experience God's blessing. We see the difficulties of the prophets, but we, we're in wonder about the blessings of God that rested on our lives, the, the power of God at work in our lives, the, 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 the power of the Word that came out. They were gifted and they moved upon by the Spirit of God for the mission that God was on to redeem a people for Himself to dwell with forever, which is the same mission that we get to be on with Him today. Certainly, the blessing they're experiencing now as they enjoy the presence of God even now also awaiting the final day with great expectation. Motir goes on to say, we would rightly call Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and others people on whom God's blessing rested. Indeed, we often react in the same way to contemporaries in whom we see the virtue of endurance. We covered it for ourselves. We would like to think that in similar circumstances of oppression or of illness, we would be as resolute, even if we have grave doubts that we could manage it. So we look to examples I'll throw some examples onto the sermon follow-up this week, some videos of some, some of those who are suffering significantly, facing some significant sorrows, um, dealing with significant pain from the past, who are walking in faith. 
Second example here, more than just the prophets, James says in the second part of verse 11, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In the example of Job, we see a man who remains steadfast, never not questioning, right? Questioning greatly, deeply, sorrowful, weeping. Even when he couldn't understand what was happening to him, there was a sense that he remained steadfast. Even when his friends were of little to no help whatsoever, even when his wife was of absolutely no help whatsoever, Job replies with steadfast patience and endurance and expectation by saying this, Job 13, 15. He didn't say it because somebody was watching or somebody was listening, so I got to say the right thing. It's like, this is what was alive in his heart. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. And, and he also said this, Amid, amidst great, great sorrow and loss and difficulty, he says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And where does he go? And at the last, he will stand on the earth. See, he knew this, what we're talking about. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. See, Job, Job had a view. He had a view of eternity here amid the most difficult struggles of his life. This was a rich man who had amazing family and had all sorts of stuff. And it was all taken from him, including his health. Not all taken from him, most of it taken from him, and including his health. To a point where it's just like brutal, and yet he knows that even if this struggle continues the rest of my life, and my body ends up being slayed on account of it, yet I will see God. And so he lived in some way not with just a smile on his face when he's like scraping the scabs off his chest or his back or whatever, but with a, a sure and certain hope that in the end, I will see God and all will be well. You see the patient yet eager expectation amid the difficult straits he was in? The Holy Spirit wants us to look to Job this morning just for a moment, and to consider his example. A person just like you and I, amid significant difficulties, continue to live with patient expectation of a better day to come. How? I think that leads to our third point. We live with patient expectation by looking to our Savior. It says this in verse 11, You've, been, you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job saw at least two things about God. He, if you read Job, you know he saw a lot more uh, than these two things. But one of the things in particular um, that he saw is the Lord has steadfast purpose. The story of Job is a story where we see his steadfastness, but we see even more clearly in his suffering the very purposes of God, the very, um, not just sovereignty of God, but 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 the reality that God is God. He's our creator. He's the one who sustains us. He's a, we, we work. We do stuff. 
in our own power on the one hand. On the other hand, who is it the one, who, who's the one that keeps our hearts beating? Who's the one that keeps our nerves going? Who's the one that keeps our brain functioning? Who's the one that keeps this going and keeps this going so that we can make money, so that we can have family, so that we can do all those kind of things? It is God. It's God alone. We can't make so many things happen, but God is doing it. Now, we, we tend to be like a naturalistic kind of people that if I just do X, Y, Z, um, uh, then X, Y, Z is going to happen. And ultimately, we don't know that that's going to happen. We could eat the best, and we need to eat, the best we can possibly eat for all of our lives, and yet in the end, get cancer. That's part of this life. And so in the midst of all of this kind of thing, the reality is God's saying, look to me, look to me, look to me, trust in me, rest in me, look to the Savior. Above all other things, the main objective uh, in, in God's eyes, and it's the same is true for you and I, the main objective in your lives was to make sure we would know God more fully because He is the one alone whom we should not reject but actually gain all of our hope in and recognize that we can be fully satisfied only in Him. Listen to Job himself as he realizes this. He says, I had heard of you, and this is true in the church today as well, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now what? Now my eye sees you. Have you heard of God? Yes. Have you seen God? He, he's, he's saying, look to the Savior we, we don't want trials, but God always, always intends them to cause us to know Him more intimately, and either we believe that and rest in the goodness of that, or we reject it and grow in anger. Enjoy Him supremely. Be satisfied in Him entirely, because He is the one for whom we exist and find our being Second thing we see is that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job, Job had great blessing at the end of his life, great wealth, success, but this isn't what James points us to. It's not health and wealth and success in this life that helps us endure this life with patience. Certainly causes things to be potentially a little smoother, but as we've seen, not true. What helps us, James says, is the knowledge of the Lord Himself, in particular that He is compassionate and merciful. We can grow in steadfastness, in patient um, expectation and endurance by knowing, by really knowing and growing to know the compassion and mercy of God, which, which is one of the things in Luke that we… That, that, that we just keep hitting on over and over again, not because we're the smartest guys on the planet, but because it's like all over the place in Luke the mercy and compassion of God. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As 
for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and his place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And herein is the connector to all we've looked at this morning. For the only way the man can live with any hope in this troubled life is to know the, com- the compassion and the mercy of God that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus himself says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To not look, to not look at the compassion and mercy of God through the gift of His one and only Son, Jesus, is to settle for living a life that's marked by grumbling, marked by the pursuit of temporal riches and leisure, and marked by erratic, volatile, impulsive, and anxious behavior. If we don't regularly look to the compassion and mercy of God through this display of love to us on the cross of Jesus Christ, and understand that not only have we been forgiven and justified, and adopted, but that we've been given the Spirit to keep us and strengthen us and empower us and to sanctify us and to keep us and to guard us until the day that we see Jesus face to face, we will not be able to walk in in, in any sort of patient expectation or endurance whatsoever. Instead, we're going to be constantly looking for answers or some sort of feeling or something that in the end be filled with despair and anxiety and, and significant frustration and empty unbelief and hopelessness. Now, if what I said at the beginning is true, namely that the Holy Spirit is moving in us today to further enable a life of patient expectation at all as well, then what specifically is it that you and I must do? For we must do something. The Spirit's at work, but He works in changing our hearts and moving us to walk in certain ways. So listen, I want to make this easy. We must respond to the preached word. It, 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 does not, it does not get somehow any more complicated than that. We must respond to the preached word. This is not just like some sort of information transfer. Like you, you've, you've, each of us, I mean, maybe it was just me. My, my mom talked about, or teachers, or pretty much anybody growing up, they said, hey, it seems as though what I'm saying is going in one ear and out the other. That, that, that can't be, that can't be us. This is the Spirit of God speaking to us, reminding us of something to cause us to have and to grow in patient expectation in this life. James says elsewhere, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you're a hearer only, you're, you're deceived. You think everything's okay, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not cool. So what is it that you must do? to live with patient expectation. Again, look to the reward. This week, look to the reward. Look to examples. Look to the Savior. There's, there's one thing in common with all of those things, and that is God's Word. 
It, it, it really is our very life. This, this, is, this seems as though it's just this broken record here. It might feel that way, but listen, the reality is this, is this is just entirely true. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Do you feel like you need revived? The law of the Lord is perfect, and and it revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, and they do what? They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, even, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Paul says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Where do we do that most often? Every single week here and other places. But friends, another reason, come, and I know you're here, right? Make Sunday mornings like the biggest priority on your family calendar. Hear the word of the Lord to us all this morning. May the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It's not just about personal devotions, not just about Bible studies. This is about being purposeful with this book, with this book that each of you have in your hands or on your phone or on your iPad or whatever. It's about soaking in it. It's about meditating on it, reading it together, listening to it, memorizing it, singing it, encouraging one another with it. Certainly, there's an individual aspect to all of this, but the emphasis is on the plural. It's on us, the body of Christ, one another, prioritizing, again, getting together on Sundays where it's the only place where we hear the Word of God for us as a body, hearing from Him together, being encouraged together, singing together with thankfulness in our hearts to God, to hear from God together through the preached Word. And then as we gather together in our community groups, uh, may looking to the reward and looking to our examples and looking to our Savior in this book of books be on our tongues as we care for one another and not just pats on the back and understanding, but being able to bring God's Word to, to light, to encourage somebody, whether you think it's entirely appropriate in the moment or not, but some word of encouragement to cause us to to get our eyes off of the situation and onto the one who is worthy of all of our life. And then as we head back to our homes, may we help others in our home look to the reward, look to our examples, look to the Savior, however you possibly can do it. I know homes, homes are different. There's ideas that are out there of how to, how to have family devotions. I'm saying, look, look, Deuteronomy 6 says this, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit. How often do you sit in the house with your kids? Uh, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There's, there's just all sorts of practical counsel there. The reality is this is not just in moments where you are focused on God's Word and you look to the reward and look to uh, examples and look to the Savior, but it is throughout our lives. Everywhere you go as you're driving, singing a song together, listening to the Word together, whatever it is. Is it does not have to be complicated, but it needs to be a priority. 
Friends, by God's grace and the Spirit, let's be a church family who immerses ourselves in the life-giving Word of God to know Him and be reconciled to Him through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior, to be encouraged and stirred up through the lives of godly men and women. Let's keep our eyes on the prize and help one another keep our eyes on the prize. In these manners, God will pour out His grace, reviving our souls, rejoicing our hearts, enlightening our eyes, and cause us to be patient through the storms of this life which will come until the day we see Him face to face and are presented to Him blameless with great joy.